everyone, this is Ida Josefina, and you're listening to Say New World. Today, I'm speaking with Bruno Lloret. Bruno is a writer and researcher, and full disclosure, he is also my husband. Bruno has published a novel called Nancy, which received an honorable mention for the Roberto Bolaño Award, and another one called Lenya. Bruno is currently finishing a PhD dissertation on the uses of ancient Greece for the creation of national and regional images in Latin America during the late 19th and early 20th century at King's College London. He also teaches creative writing and practices oil painting. In this episode, Bruno and I chat about many things related to creativity, literature, and the exploration of ideas. We talk about his journey to becoming a writer, painter, and a teacher of creative writing. We discuss ideas themselves, where they come from, and how they're developed, and the nature of creative work itself. I had a ton of fun recording this one, as the guest in question just happens to be my favorite person to talk to. I hope you'll forgive the inside jokes and some minor public displays of verbal affection and that you guys like the episode. Now I bring you Bruno Lloret. Okay, I'm here with Bruno Lloret. Hello, Bruno. <laughs> nice to have you Hi. on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. So we know each other because you're my husband. And, That's correct. <laughs> uh, and I've never had a husband before on the podcast, so this is quite exciting. Wow. I'm glad. I hope I'm the the first and hopefully the last. Yes, I, I hope so too. So yeah, thank you so much for, for being on. Um, I would like to start in a similar way that we start a lot of the other podcasts, which is just talking a little bit about your background and what are some of the little nodes or experiences that have happened in your life that have really sort of shaped you to become who you are. So maybe you can tell our audience a little bit about your background. Absolutely. I was born in, in Chile, uh, South America, if some people are not aware of where Chile is. Um, and I came to be in a family or two families that were very, very uh, oriented towards books and culture, generally speaking. So at the beginning, I was forced to read. Uh, everybody was encouraging me to discover um, the love of reading. Uh, as I'm sure you know, when something is mandatory, it becomes really like impossible to enjoy. And that was my first experience for the first like 11 years. I hated reading. Everybody around me were giving me books, trying to, to plant the seed, I guess. Um, but it wasn't until I was 11 that summer when I first found out uh, The Hobbit, this novel by Tolkien, when I completely fell in love with the adventure and I started reading. Uh, but that very same summer, I don't know if you have read The Hobbit or you're familiar with the, the type of... I'm, I'm familiar with the, the larger concept of it, but I've never read it. It's, a, it's like people said that Tolkien started thinking the, the story only like for bedtime story for his children. So it's very mm. adventurous at, at the beginning. They describe um, what is a Hobbit and... How is the life of a hobbit? Very domestic person oriented to eating, etc., and enjoying life. And how this hobbit ends up having the biggest adventure ever that includes a dragon and stuff. So I really loved how um, beautiful, simple, and adventurous the story was. Uh, but one week after, I came across with uh, L'Etrangère of Albert Camus. It's very highly existential. Uh, book when you were 11 yes <laughs> and i read it also 
Wow. Um, uh, yeah, that was uh, quite a summer. Uh, so after reading that book, I experienced something. I wasn't sure what was it. What was it? Uh, some sort of weird experience. So I had these two books. I read these two books. The first one was a completely nice adventure. The other was somehow something undescribable. It was a, like a, I was in front of a, a non-previously experienced experience, so to speak, and that really changed the way how I perceive books. So yeah. after that, I just started reading a lot and everything I could, and I felt comfortable by just dismissing books, you know, something that some people cannot do. I just started doing. If you don't yeah. like a book, don't read it. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, did, how did how was that feeling when you were reading those books? Like, how would you describe the, yeah, the sentiment? Completely immersive. It was like the most absolute immersive experience uh, in a situation that was completely uncommon for me. Uh, you know, I'm not a hobbit, and I've never seen dragons, and I'm neither a, a French citizen of, of Algeria, and I've never shot uh, an Arab in a beach. So all of those, like the combination of immersive experiences with otherness or radical otherness somehow uh, were the thing that touched me. And I think that still nowadays is like what makes books so amazing, don't you think? Like um, it, there's something that happens with books when you read that cannot happen with a comic or, or a movie. You know? yeah. It's like absolute display of imagination. Yeah. Words. yeah for sure do you think that that's because we have um such like all of us have our like subjective associations with language that are so strong that because it's not so imposed on us like a like a film is through visuals that um that that's how it gets so deep into our beings and souls because of this like subjective nature of connotations through words that's a very good way of putting it. I, yeah, I would say so. Uh, it's very loose. Also, it it is um, it is much more intense than watching a, a film. I feel like it requires some active engagement. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that active engagement actually it's what makes you really experience a book. The other thing is, this also happens with films, but with books it's different. You never read the same book, even if it's the same book right. twice. You know what I mean? I don't think I've uh, actually. I don't think I've ever reread a whole book. I've only reread parts of it. Well, that's like when when I started reading and enjoying my readings. My my grandfather and my father, who are like very good readers, they they started telling me, "Well, you're not quite there yet because the real thing is to reread. The real readers are rereaders." So I got into like this new loop, and it was like a completely new and different challenge um yeah so going back to the sort of notes for significant experiences or events so there's this uh summer of reading when you're 11 and well just talk me through like what happened uh from then on that led you to become um, a writer and a painter and a researcher and sort of how that whole composition came to be over the two following decades yeah, um, one of the most important things that happened to me in high school also was um, to play Dungeons and Dragons uh, with a group of friends and to doubt of these assumed polarities in in what 
high school is. So I don't know how it, does it work in Finland, but in Chile, you had this very clear division between humanities and science. And that somehow like really defined who you were, even like how you looked, uh, what were your feelings, everything. Um, since I was like very good in humanities, I decided to study sciences. Uh, only because I thought that it was an artificial division, a created division, and actually there was a bit of everything in everything, a bit like the, the yin-yang symbol, no? Uh, like my um, shoes. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, like, this is just full of like, uh, like hidden jokes. Yeah. Yes, like the shoes you, you recently <laughs> bought. like the pros and cons of having your uh, significant other on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after that, I decided like really, really early that I wanted to become a writer. Um, the problem came with the not the word writer, but the word serious writer, right? Because when you take things too seriously, you sort of like lose a bit the um, um, like the cheeky, playful aspect of it. So, how did I decide to become a writer? I thought, okay, I need to create a real deep negotiation of what I am—the negotiation of the self. So, the first thing was I need autonomy. Uh, what? So for that, I need autonomy. Mm. So like I cannot w earn my money through writing. I need to earn my money in parallel and to write as like the real thing to protect sort of like speak their writing. So that's why I decided like every other Chilean people to go to university to study. So firstly, I studied psychology for a while, less than a semester. Then I went to the engineering school to study astronomy. Um, and then finally, uh, I moved to the literature departments in, in the humanities faculty. And that's where I end up, actually. Paradoxically, I thought if I study literature and I join academia, I could earn money to be able to write fiction, which is like really weird, a really weird and naive thought. That Sounds very from... complicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also not really profitable. Uh, I don't know if there's, I don't know any um, uh, of my professors is precisely rich for academia. Um, so that was the first thing. The, the second thing was to write fiction continuously, nonstop, um, every single year since I'm 17. So yesterday I was just like doing a list of, how many novels I've attempted to write and I finished. And there's like 13 novels. Uh, wow. um, yeah. Uh, between writing and rewriting. Um, so I decided to take the thing really seriously. And that meant to write and to finish a novel and to start a new one and so on and so on forever. Um, and the third very important aspect of myself is painting. But painting is like a very, like a late adventure. I discovered painting during COVID a bit before, but COVID was the real catalyst because I was alone in this big room and I could um, just um, start painting. So between those three things, academia, painting, and writing fiction, is like, like those three things are where I sort of like, experience and attempt to build problems uh, related with humans, of course, because I'm a human. Uh, so that's basically like the three new, new and of course, human relations, everything outside like, um, like personal passions, but those are like my three personal passions, so to speak.
academia, fiction, and uh, painting. Yeah, I was just going to, I mean, you sort of started answering it, but I was going to ask what connects all of this and how do you really relate with the world? So you said that it deals with human problems. Uh, what exactly do you mean by that? And what within that fascinates you? Or how? I'm, I'm curious to just get your sort of thoughts on how you relate with the world, if there is a way of putting that into words. Yeah, uh, all of these thoughts might be very retrospective thoughts, because while I was doing these things, there was a lot of intuition in display, right? But I think that what they like they have in common is that they're all processes uh, that require simultaneously passion and some sort of contention or, you know, um, expression, but also analysis, planification and replanification. So I can, I like the best image to, to picture this is like painting, academia, research and the writing fiction is like sailing a ship while you're charting the route at the same time. It's a bi-dimensional or like you, you get the image, I guess, yeah. no? Like it's, uh, you have to, yeah, like you are there sailing, you more or less know where do you want to go. Uh, but as you go, plans might change. New yeah. things might, might, might happen, no? But also you don't want to lose the, like the structure or a structure, any structure to be able to, to understand what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's kind so, of what we always talk about, that our jobs are surprisingly similar to one another, that it's like, you're a writer, and I'm a startup founder, but it's not all that different, because the it's equally sort of operating in the unknown and dealing with projects and discovering things as you go and trying, you know, there's a lot of like similarities between things that seemingly are very different, but actually is about creativity and innovation and um uh, well, a lot of things dealing with just like human nature <laughs> and society. Absolutely. But also, and this is why I really enjoy our like late night conversations. Um, it is about um, some sort of planified, uh, self-regulated uh, creative impulse. And I think this is really, really important because yeah. there's like one of like the weird misconceptions of what is art or what is human creation, generally speaking. No, so I don't know you. You can tell me a bit, like, how was art school when you were at high school? Like, what did art teachers tell tell you that what was art? I had the weirdest art teacher. It was like a scam of a class. Like, it was like the class <laughs> where it was like the class that you had that you didn't actually have to like. That wasn't a real class, you know. It was like the like there like we never did anything. It was just like an excuse for people to hang out and do whatever so I don't think I ever got the pleasure of having any sort of um even attempted education in art <laughs> yeah I, I I must say that that probably is like the most common experience and it's it's not because like art teachers are bad people or they don't know art it's mainly because I think they because education is so limited in time and resources that they're like prioritizing the ultimate the number one um, the ultimate goal of art, which is self-expression, right? If you're like 10 years old, you don't want to become like a professional artist, you might want to self-express yourself. The problem with all, like only putting so much emphasis in self-expression is that like you start thinking that any possible tool 
is a valid tool and you don't really explore any tool at the end. So you feel that like art, any sort of creation is just vomiting through a very genuine gesture, whatever it is inside your soul. And that could be it. I mean, I know a lot of people who do that, but um, most of people cannot do that. And um, it's not very sustainable for even those who can, right? Exactly. Ex exactly. So when I first got interested in, in art, in painting, I met this amazing painter and I said to myself, everybody can do this. And one of the most interesting things that he taught me is that when you are painting a portrait of someone or an object in the room, you spend most of your time mixing the colors and observe, observing, like really watching your subject. And after like some intense analysis, you uh, draw some lines or like, or like you go really analytical. So he told me, every time your, your hand is trying to do more than one like gesture at the same time, you have to like step five steps back and see what you're doing and then think what you will do next and then only then to prepare the colors and then only then to dare to put the brush etc so at the end i discovered and this happened with painting but also with writing that creation could be uh also an activity when you frustrate yourself you frustrate your like uh, initial initial impulse uh, only to really think what you're doing uh, so in that sense creativity uh, or I'm really into creative processes that like have to combine yes or yes in order to be successful and like well discipline. done yes expression genuine expression but also sort of discipline and analytical thoughts on what mm. are you doing why are you doing why is this interesting etc um, ultimately this allows you to find very interesting problems which is the thing that I think connects what I do with what you do uh, and what mainly humans do. It's like to be able to analyze and discover new problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, you've also been thinking about this, not just from the perspective of a creator, but also as a teacher. So there's also like, a, I guess, like two very... Well, I don't know to what extent you'd say there were different perspectives. I would assume that there are somewhat different perspectives when you're thinking about and well, and I know this because I know that you don't always follow your own methods for uh, creative, <laughs> <laughs> creative creativity and writing. So um, how does this sort of like, well, maybe you could just talk a little bit about um, your experiences teaching creative writing and well, how did you even get interested in that? And how did the sort of like method get developed? Yeah, this is really related with um, sort of a journey of self-consciousness or self-conscious effort. Because after writing 30 novels um, and realizing that I didn't want to publish them all and that if I'm something, I'm also a very good writer and writing very bad things, I realized that like there was a process there, uh, underlaying there, uh, between every novel, every process. So... As, like, as I got more and more conscious about what was happening, I got more and more interested not only in writing, but also in teaching writing. Um, so at first, I wanted to write big literature when I was like 17. I wanted to really like become like one of those authors you read, you know, like Dostoevsky or, um, or whatever. 
But then, as I wrote the first novels, I realized that I was writing like the writers I admired. And I became aware of this by my own. Some people imply it, but also always people, it's very nice to you. So no one will tell you, like, you're writing like uh, Hemingway, you know? Uh, so I discovered this by my own. And I decided to, to, to move on in that sense. So then I realized that I was looking for a fixed formula behind the idea of my own voice. I was like, I want to find my own voice, you know, to be able to express my own style, etc. But then uh, I realized that, like, even if you find your own voice, there's no real, a single own voice, and there's no, no fixed formula. So that was also, that could be super paralyzing. Um, so then I got interested in something a bit more broad, that is uh, human processes. And everything outside literature, I realized that, like, I was reading a lot of novels written by writers that were reading mainly novels. So I was, I became aware that a lot of literature is like ultra self-conscious because people who are writing or some people, the people I was reading, they don't read anything outside literature. Uh, so in that moment, I, I was like, I'm interested in everything that is outside of literature. Um, and ultimately any, any sort of human process so I became and you know this I am a very good uh, content watcher in YouTube I like what people do in YouTube because it's amazing you know um, I, I look at people drawing mangas uh, Japanese comic or ecosystems how do they manage an ecosystem for a year etc and I found that the most the more I was interested in like these other human processes, the more I learned and the more real human experience I got to think about problems for literature, inside literature, and to write. So it was actually a win-win situation in a way. Um, and this is when the like this method of methods or the supra method, or I don't know how to call it, came to to place because I discovered that it's more than just a method. It's full of people offering different types of methods and tools for creative writing. It's more a, a sort of a summary of like my journey during these years and what I've talked with many other writers and other human beings. So it incorporates first like a certain aspects of psychotherapy, you know, like what I call the ghosts of writing. Like why are you writing? What do you what are your fantasies fantasies of writing and how do they affect how do you Perceive yourself writing and your product, finally. The other aspect is organizational skills and long-term processes, which is something uh, that is really, really important. And the third one is not only the acquisition, but the awareness of acquisition of tools for language, storytelling, and all what I call the semiotic spectacle. This is everything that happens when you read a book that is not only like the words that are being read. So those three sacks, Aspects together are like basically constitute what I'm, I'm calling the method of methods or basically a way of sailing while charting uh, the journey at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and do you think it would be fair to make a connection between creating this method of methods and being interested in the sort of, you know, like meta layers of like processes to connecting that with what you we're saying that the reason that you were doing writing and painting and research was to understand sort of human nature and human problems. So I'm 
I'm wondering if like teaching and trying to um, pass on to others like ways of examining creativity and to do creativity is like a sort of like a meta layer of the process itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at the end of the day, you have different types of students. I offer courses for individuals and for groups, different ages, different countries, etc. Um, and at the end of the day, what I feel it is really about is about to discover new human problems. Um, in that sense, and I got this from a design book written in 1996, like the way to creating problems or inventing problems is by defying or examining the conventions. And But this is extremely difficult to really be aware of like what are the conventions that uh, rule ourselves or how are we ruled by these conventions. Mm -hmm. um, and this, in is the like, this is like our first date when we talked about how we would like re- organize the entire world and society and how like the different building blocks of like government and academia and of societies and communities and groups would be like could be like rebuilt in order for the world to look differently <laughs> exactly yes that's it's exactly a type of material but like yeah this was a day though like that was weird but anyways that's <laughs> that's how we do things that's uh, how we do things yeah uh, in the case of students um it is about to be able to share with words the contemplation or the observation of um, these conventions falling apart. And this is when it gets really like aesthetic contemplative. Um, because I'm obsessed or I'm currently writing only about human problems that I feel are really important that are related with like nowadays, the challenges of the future, but also with like internal symbols, something really like in the way of Carl Jung and archetypes. Um, there's a moment where like before writing and while writing that you don't, it's not enough to put or to write down things and that's it. It's more about mind wandering and contemplating inside yourself or within yourself. It's kind of like really beautiful, complex, pre-idea. Um, and I feel that like what is most exasperating of a lot of things that are being written nowadays and the way how publishing houses work, etc., is actually the lack of people willing to join you and to share with you this uh, experience of pre-idea. When you read also, going to one of the questions you asked at the beginning, you also experience that, right? Reading is not only like, um, let's get to a point, uh, let's extract the ideas and whatever. Like reading can be also a very beautiful and powerful experience. Um, yeah, because it doesn't necessarily need to be such like a linear thing that has a result. Like it could just be like an experience. Like sometime when I had COVID the first time, I like after four days, I was just in such brain fog that I couldn't really do anything. So I was sitting in our living room, um, just watching the stack of books there. And I just took one book and I just like read one page and I just decided to stay on that page. I didn't like 
want to go anywhere I just wanted to be on one page and I was like just trying to like meditate on different words and different sentences and sort of like play around within this group of words that was a very specific part of a very specific scene in a very specific book but I think that that kind of like that's why also obviously I'm interested in this because of sane but like non-linear ways of like reading thinking playing with ideas I find really interesting but I think exactly what you're saying to that is like if we're like it's not about just getting to the point or getting somewhere it's about that sounds super cliche but like the journey no absolutely I mean for instance like the like like in, in January, I read this novel written by the Danish author Olga Raven called The Employees or The Workers. And that novel that is super fragmentary, you don't really know who is telling what uh, and happens in a spaceship where like these astronauts have to take care of these objects that are not necessarily dead nor alive. That novel really like impacted me and changed the way or confirmed like some sort of like pre or like, intuitions I had about literature and what is literature? What is to write about something like? And what are you trying to do when you're writing down something? Do you want to capture the essence? Do you want to play the old Thomas Aquinas one-on-one situation where language really is like reality, or like you, do you want to do something else, something different? Um, what is it for you? Well, for me, it's like basically to, yeah, to be able to take, you know, like the industry, I really think they're getting um, what is the future of human experience is perfumes commercials. Um, They're (laughs) extremely abstract. I love them. I don't know if you, there's, of course, a parody of perfume commercials, but I don't know if you get what I'm saying. There's the music, there's the ambience. It's like an immediate dream. They last 20 seconds or less. The girls are and- so specific. Like, it's like a really, like, I don't think I've ever seen a perfume commercial that's unlike a perfume commercial. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what are you trying to sell? Uh, or what are you trying to transmit with a, with a, when you're trying to sell a perfume? A scent? Ex- ex- exactly. <laughs> but, like, a scent is always, um, it's a very powerful biological deep um, stimulus or stimuli and it's related with other things yesterday i was uh, while i was cleaning the house i was listening to a song by lana del rey called summertime sadness yes and one of the comments the medieval version no no no, <laughs> the medi- no this was the real one uh, i was feeling a bit like the summertime sadness and one of the comments was like very cheesy but very in point when this guy said that when you go back and listen to an old song, you're going back for old memories. Uh, and I feel that Lana del Rey aesthetics is really related or similar to perfume aesthetics. And it is related with this kind of like, let's call it like a little bit of reconnection with everything through an aesthetic experience. That's what I love um, perfume ads. And that's why I think that um, I've like, a very good novel from the future or from nowadays could be written as, as like trying to transmit chapter by chapter or fragment by fragment what any single one of these com- ads do, you yeah. know, some sort of a like, and that's what Olga Raven's co- um, novel does. And that's why I love that novel so much. Uh, uh, 
it breaks also the linear need of a book. So you read the novel and then you can just go and read different bits and it's completely fine because the entire experience is already inside you and you don't need to reread it as um, like you could read an old book. So I don't know if this makes sense. but Yeah, it does. Like the, um, Molly was on the podcast in, in the first episode of Saying New World and she was saying that you could read this French philosopher Simone I don't know how to pronounce her last name, that you could almost read her just in quotes. Like you could just like read her quotes and you could really get the the sort of like essence and ideas like just through these fragmented quotes, uh, which Molly thought that was like an attestment to uh, how good of a writer someone can be if you can read it really just in these like tiny fragments. I thought that was beautiful. But I really get what you mean. Like I really like when you're expla explaining this and explaining the perfume com commercial thing and the sort of aesthetic sense and all that like i really can like i can visualize it in my mind of what you're talking about yeah i would say that like one of the things we talk a lot on the workshops um what we discuss about when we are inside the method of methods is like to be to be really able to recognize that one thing is when you're working in the production of this and to separate this from the experience of this uh, in a way, for instance, when I start thinking about an idea, etc., I experience some sort of like pre-rational moments. Uh, it's really like mind-wandering. Um, and as long as I treasure these moments, and I am I'm then able to sort of like put them into words. Um, but here, and I'm sure everybody has experienced this, you think you have an idea, then you write it down, and it looks really like, I don't know, uh, silly or bleak or yeah. no, like yeah. it's not really comparable to the experience you had. Um, the problem is like you cannot transmit that whole experience. It's probably a very personal thing. Um, so the way to think about how to write something to reproduce similar experiences is to go to a very technical level. And I feel that like that sort of like bridge between the pre-ideas or experiences to the actual structure that will make other people able to experience that is one of the it's like the journey where a lot of people that are like interested in writing gets lost because I mean, for instance that's the craft no exactly but also it's related with the industry um it's related with the the question about efficiency or like what's the point you know when for instance when I have a very nice family, so everybody's very nice. But er always when people, I, I don't know, ask me, like, what do you do for a living? The question is a very intense one. And then when I explain to them, most times there's like an uncomfortable silence. Uh, when I feel that people are trying to ask me, so what's the point in all of this? And I even feel that like the answer like where it's pointless, it's a comfortable answer and won't make that person get um, what is moving you to do this. Um, but the other thing is like to not have a clue on what you're doing, which is completely different. So for instance, if I'm pitching you or I'm talking with you about a story I want to tell, obviously I won't be able to transmit the experience or like the pre-idea I have about the story. But I should be able to like give you one or two initial hints about what will the story be on, you know, what characters, etc. Assuming that that won't really 
um, be the story. Yeah, and I like feel little that... teasers. Exactly. Yeah, I feel a lot of people have problems, some sort of mourning uh, of the process of writing down a piece of art. But it's not. I, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And it's not just. It's not just within this realm of art or creative writing. But it's. It's just like. I mean, it's like my favorite topic recently. We've talked about this a lot, and I've talked about it in the podcast, and I wrote an essay about it. Is like this whole like total labor mindset that we're in, and how that how like the future of work, which is like an important category in the tech industry, being very much about productivity and about increasing productivity and increasing the results and the outputs and how we've sort of like managed to define the essence of being human to really be a functionary and to mm. have to have this sort of like very specific um, result of um, like as a, you know, as a part of like, yeah, basically like w working is our identity. And I'm mm. really interested in, in like the current happenings within technology and society otherwise, and the rise of AI as a potential, um, you know, breaking point or beginning for being able to uh, maybe redefine what the essence of being human is to and redefine the essence of like the future of work being more about the future of creativity rather than productivity. And um, so I really hope that like in the future when families and other people have this discussion of what exactly do you do and when we actually take space and takes time to contemplate uh, about life and about the things that are going around us it'll seem actually as like the most important work that we could be doing rather than something frivolous or unimportant because i i really believe that that is the only way that we'll be able to um progress and create a much better world than we're currently in is to have time to think and for contemplation and for that cr deep creative work whether is it whether it's in creative writing or whether it's in other industries but it's it's sort of like our relationship to time and to work and to other things that I think need quite a lot of redefining. I mean, absolutely. And the human factor, it's still there. And I have the feeling that we'll continue being there for uh, at least five years. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with the work of this Spanish writer called, oh, he lives in Spain, called Jorge Carrion. No. Jorge Carrion is the director of uh, the Pompeo Fabra University Creative Writing Program, and he was one of the first people in Spanish-speaking world and probably the world in like get involved with uh, AI model language or language models. Correct me, I pardon, pardon my LLMs, large exactly. language models. Exactly, like pre-chat GPT three point something. Um, so he basically produced a lot of uh, experiments and he got conclusions from things that are like part of the past already, uh, which is really interesting. Um, one of the things he has proposed or he's proposing is that actually humans will become curators of AIs. Um, in that sense, the human labor is still at the nucleus of the process which is somehow interesting, somehow obvious, because as he has pointed out, this is related with the avant-garde from the beginning of the 20th century, uh, a lot of mechanical procedures, so to speak. Um, but in the other hand, it reproduces the problem of the Wizard of Oz. I don't know if you saw the film. Uh, I think I've, I've seen the play once. So do you remember that at the end, the wizard or like this kind of huge machinery with a screen like behind there was this like 
old, really grumpy dudes like saying like, "I need a hug." No, I and, don't remember. <laughs> so, like this kind of spectacular semi-machine god at the end was like an old man behind the screen. Uh, what is Carrion suggesting is that at the end of the day, um, humans will be those who will evaluate and help AIs to write better or to write beautiful things. Testings, of course, to be consumed by humans. Um, what Carrion is pointing out is like what actually is the situation of museums and everything that is related with curatory. In that sense, is nothing new. The real question, or for me, like the like where the thing gets very interesting is how to democratize or like create democratic tools for like people, democratic tools for people to be good curators. Uh, and there is a problem, no? Like, I don't know, like, at least for me, who gets to be who in the world of curation uh, in all the industries is somehow a mystery and perhaps might be related with networking. But I know what's your vision. This is probably a prejudice, but like it makes me nervous. Like it's a bit like um, like uh, sometimes it's like this story about the the invisible suit of the emperor, where like someone that has a prestige suggests that something is cool and resonates with the zeitgeist, and everybody else is like, yes, this is the thing. Whereas like it's it is not necessarily i don't know if you understand what i yeah i do i mean i might be also biased because i'm building a company that where curation is an important element and aspect of it but i really think that it's um like i when i think about like who i look up to as a curator i i think i'm starting to really think about everyone as a curator because of the type of work that i do so if i if i um think about what kind of like fiction I want to read uh it like I would turn to you as a curator and ask sort of what things you've been reading and trying to understand your world of literature and your uh, opinions on that and I would sort of rank you highly in my thinking as like someone who could be a curator when it comes to suggesting literature to read or if it would be like you know uh relating to food or new recipes or whatever I would probably go to Tina because she's my friend who I trust um, her taste a lot and she's a great um, chef and I would you know look at her sort of world of curation around food related items so I think it has I think I, I see it as like being heavily democratized already but we don't really have a lot of tools that enable people to actually do the work of curation and that's why I think Sane and other companies who are building in this space really come in is is to provide accessible tools for um, showing how ideas are born and what we're interested in and to self-express and to ultimately curate um, things that we're interested in. So um, yeah, I think I'm quite optimistic on that front. And I really don't think of it much that much as a celebrity thing, more as like, a, this is an opportunity for people to really actually show who they are through curating their interests, if that makes sense. I mean, I've and not only who they are, but actually, like this might enable people to experience life completely differently. Um, I think this is heavily related with the future and the democratization of uh, agency. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. to become the agent of your own life, especially if like you have to reach out for educational tools in the internet, etc. Um, yeah. Good curators also they're really interested in 
in communicating with the people. So for instance, if you ask me something like this, I would ask you, well, what are you interested in? No, if you ask an advice for Tina, Tina would say to you perhaps something like, look at the fresh products in the market or like, what are you looking for, etc. It's like when you it's ask... It's a lot more nuanced. Exactly, exactly. And I feel that like that is exactly the point where you can feel um, the, the possible power concentration when you have someone uh, basically dictating what is the thing and everybody else assuming that is the thing because actually asking why something is the thing it's like somehow like it it it, be, it makes you not being part of the thing yeah so to speak <laughs> that is where the problem comes uh, yeah so but i think it's like more of a like it's less about the dictators uh, <laughs> as like and more about the like the the tools or the platforms or the mechanisms that dictators use you know it's like um like it's like if you're in a museum and that there's a curator it's like the curator is in the confines of the museum and the form like that this institution works in you know but if you take the curator out of the museum it's just like it's a completely different situation scenario and way of relating with the world and other people so i think it's really about like also the tools and the places and the mediums and channels in which we are doing the act of curating. Um, and that helps define also who the curators are. Um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. The tools of seduction. Yes, exactly. Uh, maybe to end here, I want to ask one or two more questions about um, ideas and your writing process and literature. So what are some of the, what, what's like the weirdest idea you ever had when it comes to literature? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, really, like going in retrospective and thinking about um, what happened when I was reading The Hobbit and the L'Étranger at the same time, as like a really weak, weird mix in my in my head. Um, I must say that when I'm working on on problems or universes that are like both beautiful and somehow terrible because of that and complex to a point that I don't really know how to transmit what I'm dreaming or daydreaming. So it's always or it has always been um, an incognita where I have to swim through or live in and when you're you're not very sure if you're comfortable but you're like sort of seeing some things in the sides i know this is very like the answer was very weird and abstract but that is perhaps the most honest answer i have um for instance now i'm working three novels or stories that are related with transformation um the first one is more like in a bible language it's about what would happen in a in a scenario of a post-occupation this is to say let's say like in south africa the settlers go there and they and but then the same settlers are being occupied by new settlers sponsored by the state etc like um post-ethnic cleansing situation that's one of the things i'm thinking through the bible um language the other one is um, 
It's a manual for Muslim astronauts. It's a novel about an astronaut that becomes or decides that she wants to convert to Islam and how that affects the dynamics inside inside the spaceship. And the third one is a story about a shapeshifter. This is to say a being that comes, God knows from where, and goes around the valley and changes the shapes according to what it's seeing and completely transforms the valley and catalyzes like a huge um, revolt somehow. So like both are really weird things uh, that make me think about transformation as the main axis of um, the problems I'm thinking. Yep. So it's just more of like a pool of weird ideas rather than a single one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is related somehow with transformation, and yeah. it is related with the mystery of otherness uh, and the mystery of solitude, and it is heavily indebted with uh, the movies of uh, Tarkovsky, this mm. Russian filmmaker that made the best science sci-fi films I ever seen, and they're very, very intense, very uncanny. Well, this has been a huge pleasure, as always. (laughs) I say that to all my guests, but now it's even different because uh, you're definitely my favorite person in the world to talk to, and I can say that very honestly. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. And yeah, I'm really excited for people to hear this episode and hear what they think. Um, As always, I'll link your stuff in the episode description so people can check it out. But is there anything other that we should uh, emit in terms of information before we end? No, it was a real pleasure. I, I hope, like, I wish people could, like, be with us in other moments of our life, so I could, like... I'm not <laughs> sure they would want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, in good, mo- in good moments, the good moments. <laughs> not the complex moment. Uh, to, um, yeah, I mean, it has been a pleasure. This is something we do a lot, and I love it. Uh, you are also definitely one of my favorite persons in the world like the favorite alive uh, which is like something remarkable and i love you i mean what else can i say good thanks a lot i love you too (laughs) thank you